0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. It's
1: only recently that we have all spent this time, so much time online, and that we've had basically every little thought that we've had or uttered. In a public place for the entire world to be able to see for all time. And, and it's not natural. I think it all comes down to being able to allow yourself to visualize a future
0: that is better than, than your present. You just heard a couple clips from today's conversation with Corbett Barr, who is our guest, talking about his experience doing a digital reboot, essentially downsizing his digital footprint. And that's a question we're gonna tackle today. Should you downsize your digital footprint? Should you have a more minimal digital life? And what does that mean? How does that look in terms of your daily life, your habits, if you're running a business online, is that something you can even do? And I think this idea of minimalism around your digital self kind of goes hand in hand with travel because when you're out traveling long-term or full-time, you are essentially forced into minimalism. I mean, there's only so much physical stuff you can carry with you, right? But digitally, we can carry a lot. And even though it's in a digital world and we can't see it, that doesn't mean we're not carrying it around with us in some ways. And that is... Uh, the core of this conversation, I would say, is how do we carry this digital burden in some cases? If it is a burden, how do you recognize that? And how do you go about stripping it down? Or if not totally stripping it down, just making tweaks to improve and enhance your lifestyle. And we are going to get some practical tips and frameworks in this conversation to help you do just that. We'll talk about creating space for yourself and any big decisions you have to make. Corbett shares some advice on living off of your savings, whether that's because you're starting a business or traveling and how that can take a toll and how to deal with some of the anxiety that might crop up around that. And we also talk travel. Naturally, Corbett spends a good deal of time in Mexico Every year, how did he end up there? What is life like down there? We get into all of that and much more coming your way in this wonderful conversation. Plus, I've got a nice little way to start each and every day that I'll share with you. I'm going to give a shout out to a nearby neighbor and a listener who dropped me an email the other day and why to pay attention to your repetitive self, what that means, and what you should do about it. All coming up right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. How are you doing out there? It's a pleasure to have this time with you, as always. Maybe this is your first time here listening to the show, if so. Welcome to our incredible community here, the Zero to Travel listening community, the caravan. You are amongst friends. And I got to say, I love this topic of minimalism, and we haven't explored too much around digital minimalism in this show. And like I said at the top, this is uh, something that I think really directly relates to travel because it's all about the daily experience of life on the road or at home. And our digital habits have a huge impact on that. And I always find I love getting rid of stuff. (laughs) I just have a strong, positive association with minimalism from the years of travel. I know it's from that. Because before I started traveling, I I never thought about my relationship with things. But as I spent years on the road and realized, wow... This is so liberating to just not have a lot of things. The less things you have, the less things you have to take care of or worry about or pay for. It's just a great feeling. Now, of course, being settled down, living in another country, having a family, the stuff just accumulates. I've talked about it on the show before. And I was just this weekend, in fact, going through some things and getting rid of some things. And I love that feeling. And that carries over to digital things as well i think because these things even though they're not something that we carry around in our pockets or look at in our homes or even in our backpacks or whatever if you're out on the road you're still carrying these things with you right or, or we can and I, ha- I always hate that feeling if I I randomly, say, check my phone or something, a time that I shouldn't be, and then I realize somebody hit me up or like, oh, I feel this responsibility. I got to respond to this person. And then it's just I'm just kind of carrying that into the next moments. Instead of being present with the moment, I'm now carrying these burdens around, these things that I have to maybe reply to or get back to. And it's not healthy, right? We all know it's not. And I think uh, even though we know that, we can all get into these unhealthy loops. And at other times, I know, speaking from my own personal experience, my relationship with technology at times, it's positive. It's used as a tool. Like right now, I get to use it as a tool to have a chat with you and to share something that can make an impact on people's lives. I love that about technology. The other side of that coin, of course, is the misuse of technology and then we carry those things around into our daily experiences and it all ties in now and that's one of the things we talk about in this conversation you can't really separate out your digital self from your real world self anymore because it's all integrated we all have the computers in our pockets and and all of this stuff affects our daily lives and of course if you're going to travel or you're out traveling now it's going to affect your your life wherever you are so that's why this is all integrated into travel. And this is an important topic. And as you heard at the top, we cover a lot of angles with this. I know you're going to get a ton of value out of this uh, conversation, which I'm going to bring to you in a moment. Also, don't forget to stick around afterwards because I am going to share a nice little way to start the day with you. I'm going to give a shout out to a listener in this community and why to pay attention to your repetitive self. Okay, now let's slip and slide into today's interview, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today recently did a quote unquote digital reboot, deleting all of his social media and many of his blog posts, side projects, videos, podcasts, and more, despite the fact that that he makes his entire living online. So he's here to share his experience, help us explore if you should consider downsizing your digital footprint, maybe even unloading it all together. We're going to talk about lifestyle business, I'm sure plenty of travel and much more. You can check out his work at CorbettBarr.com. Corbett, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Jason, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man. I'm really excited because, uh, well, we actually... I'm sure we crossed paths at the first. We had the first WDS, the World yes. Dominic. I mean, oh, you okay. were there
1: at the first one. That was a pretty small yeah, one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was small and magical. It was uh just to give context to people listening, it's uh it was this unique event uh that took place in I guess, what was it 2010 now or something? Probably, 2009, yeah. 2009, something yep. like that. Yeah. For me, it was awesome because I I found out about your work and like a handful of other people, and that was the Kind of the first time when I realized, oh, like I can do something online and earn a living, and it doesn't have to be a direct sales letter with yellow highlight and a red buy button. <laughs> and you can be an authentic, real human being and just do something online. This is badass. I so uh, anyway, thanks for that inspiration back then. <laughs> yeah, thank you, and thank thank God that
1: all of that is like fading in the in the rearview mirror. It was there was a time when that was like the dominant form of. Uh, I guess it was internet marketing was what they called it. But now it's just kind of, you know, being a YouTuber or podcaster or whatever, it's totally possible. And now everybody kind of knows of someone who does it.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to rent a Ferrari and stand in front of it and take pictures (laughs) to to look like you made it.
1: (laughs) I know. I've never even, yeah, I've never even sat in a Ferrari.
0: Yeah. Well, I just wanted to bring that up because, well, A, to say thanks and B, just to Again, give people context on how long you've been working online and doing this stuff, and I feel like, in that way, you're maybe one of the, the, the OGs of lifestyle business and and internet entrepreneurship in the way that we're talking about. And yeah, I I know you're living in Mexico part time, so I want to talk a little bit about that first because this is a travel podcast, and I think a lot of people listening, you know, we we do like to focus on the lifestyle and and figuring out. The thing that's fascinating for me with lifestyle business is figuring out how you can make your business fit into your lifestyle rather than the other way around. I feel like that's something you've been doing, but I'm not sure you can speak to that. So, uh, you know, that's actually maybe the tagline from my very
1: first blog was was something very similar to that. At least that was the central question I wanted to ask was how do you make your work fit into your lifestyle as opposed to the other way around. And it all started, um, for me, it was actually in 2009, my wife and I took a sabbatical road trip through Mexico and I had been working in a quote unquote traditional startup, uh, which was Silicon Valley based, you know, VC backed, um, long grueling hours and definitely not lifestyle focused. And, uh, that kind of burned me out and the startup ended up sort of blowing up and I needed like some time off. I needed to clear my head. So we decided to take a sabbatical and, um, it was like the best thing I ever did because it completely set us off on a new trajectory. We came to Mexico and I think I had this idea of life where you had to work really hard, save up a bunch of money, and then hopefully retire a little bit early so that you could do what you really wanted to in your life, you know, which of course would involve travel and and so on. But when we came down here, we just met a lot of people who were a lot younger than you would expect, but had figured out ways to live in a foreign country for a chunk of the year. Um, maybe they were here temporarily, or maybe they returned every year. And it just got me thinking, and I started asking a lot of questions, and I started a blog, sort of on a whim, to have questions or to have a conversation out loud about those questions I was having about life and career and the relationship between the two and why we all assumed that we had to fritter away like the most vibrant, active potential years of our lives sitting behind a desk somewhere in some city that has horrible weather in the winter and, um, you know, and, and, uh, take our, our anointed week or two of vacation every year.
0: It is funny how the the blueprint that you just described, the, the sort of the, you know, we're, we're going to work and then kind of live later was just generally kind of accepted in many ways. For me, at least, it wasn't easy to kind of start questioning that right away. It took some time and, and also getting around other people that going back to WDS and some of these conferences and the people that I started meeting and realizing, oh, I'm not the only one that's thinking this way. And there's definitely power in, in community in that way. Uh, how long was the sabbatical for you? Uh, ended up being about
1: eight months. And uh, it, was, it was all in our car. We had a, our dog with us, a, a 70-pound dog. We drove through a big chunk of Mexico. Then we returned, drove back up through the States, all the way up to um, British Columbia, spent some time up there, and then, and then finally returned to San Francisco,
0: where we were living at the time. And how long were you at the startup before you took the sabbatical? Uh, three years. Okay, yeah. So, three years in startup world is that e- equivalent to?
1: I it felt I like know. ten years. I mean, really. And the and the crazy thing is, you know, I um I was a co-founder in that startup, and in my mind, entrepreneurship was this like magic uh, that would cure all of the dissatisfaction that I had with my life and with lit working in the corporate environment, which is what I had done before. But I jumped into this startup with, as I said, you know, a, a co-founder. We ended up with uh, VC backers, with a uh, board of advisors, with angel investors, with um, employees, with an office. And I ended up feeling like I had way more responsibility and stress in that situation than I did before in the corporate environment. And so it was almost like I was taking a step backwards. And I guess, you know, the, the, the reason was again, in my mind, I thought, well, a startup gives you a bigger opportunity to make a bunch of money. And so maybe this will go well. And then maybe I can like decide more what I want to do next. And uh, you know, the, the truth is we've all heard this. Most startups end up failing, which ours did. And Also, I think, you know, VCs, obviously, they make so many bets in so many different companies. So they're insulated from the ups and downs of what the individual entrepreneur feels. But for a lot of us, uh, we don't have to take a, a YOLO kind of bet. We can do things smarter, more methodically, and earn a living First, and then if you want to take you know some bigger bets and and start some interesting projects that you think can go somewhere, do that. But also you can put your lifestyle first. And you know, after that sabbatical, my wife and I just agreed that we don't want to go back to that that intense um, city lifestyle that we had before and instead look for ways that would allow us to travel as much as we wanted to. And and I just realized from that point forward, my business needed to be as flexible as it took so that I could run it from anywhere. And so that I didn't have to work 60 hours a week if I didn't want to.
0: Do you have any advice for people that are having these types of conversations with their spouse or, or a partner or, or somebody that, you know, cause you're sharing your life with somebody, you were married, still married. Yeah. I'm just wondering what that experience was like for you. Were you guys on the same page or did it take a lot of conversation to figure that out?
1: Um, and my wife is, we've been together for a long time and she has, um, incredible patience and, uh, gives me quite a bit of runway. I have a couple of times during my career completely restarted. I have twice lived off of savings for, uh, up to almost a year in each case while I was building something. And, um, you know, she has of course had concerns about it. And of course, wanted to make sure that, you know, I was, um, thinking clearly and, and making good decisions, but also, uh, she's trusted in me. So I, I thank her so much for that. And also, you know, this, this lifestyle that we live, we travel four or five months out of the year. Um, usually, uh, three months of that is in a fixed place in Mexico. And then the rest of the time we're, um, in Europe or, or somewhere else that, that we want to explore in the summers. And uh she is an artist, um, a painter, and she has a studio in Portland. And so when we're away from home, she is doing other things. Like, you know, she can do marketing work and social media work and so on, but she's not actually making new paintings, uh, at least not the kind that she would sell or, or bring back to a gallery or something. So um, you know, it's a bit of a sacrifice for her in some ways. It it can feel a little boring, I think, being on the road for a really long time when she doesn't have that much work to bring with her. Whereas, you know, here I am recording podcasts and doing all that sort of stuff when, when we're on the road. So, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of conversation that goes into it. We've found that this is what works for us well now, but you know, I'm open to anything. I I think we both know that we love to travel and we both know that we love avoiding, uh, winter as much as yeah. we can. But aside from that, I think anything's possible.
0: Yeah. I can see you. I've got like glowing with a little bit of a, a tan from Mexico <laughs> and I'm, I'm here in the Scandinavia freezing my butt off. So I'm just, I'm giving you a thumbs up, man. I'm, I'm glad somebody's soaking up the <laughs> you're, sun. But you're there.
1: over the hump. You're past the, uh, the days that are six hours long or whatever. That's now right. you have summer to look forward to, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. Finally. <laughs> Those times when you were living off your savings and kind of building the next thing, I I wanted to talk a bit about that because obviously, I, I would imagine there can be a lot of stress in that situation when you're building something and you don't necessarily know if it's going to work or not. But it's a balance between having that belief in yourself and your abilities as an entrepreneur, as a human to kind of make things work versus bouncing and kind of trying to keep at bay the anxiety that might go along with that kind of situation. Did you find those times to be turbulent in that way? Or I don't want to put, I don't want it to be a leading question, but I just want to hear about your experience and, and maybe draw out some, uh, some words of wisdom for, for anybody else that might be in, in your shoes from yeah. that time. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll tell you this um, living off of savings the the first time had a much greater impact on me and my mental and physical health than I thought it would, and and that's because it was it was incredibly stressful and to the point where, um, for the first time in my life, I was you know I think I was just in my late twenties working on the startup. Um, we were pitching VCs and it took over a year for us to find funding, and uh, watching my bank account dwindle and feeling like. Wondering if maybe I had made a mistake leaving my career behind that was, you know, uh, well-paying and, and um, fairly comfortable. I ended up uh, visiting the doctor because I thought there was something physically wrong with me. I thought I was having heart problems or something, and uh, it turns out it was stress, and stress can do that to you. It can manifest in physical symptoms, and if you haven't experienced that before, it can be pretty scary. So... It had an effect on me that time. The second time around, I was more comfortable with it. And I think now I have confidence that whatever happens, I'll figure it out. And and so I'm not that worried about it. But you don't know the first time around. And um, this is why when people ask or when people tell me that they feel like they just need to quit their job so they can focus on their side hustle to really make it work, I caution them about it. Because I think You know, first of all, even if you have all the hours in the day to work on your own side project, it doesn't mean that you're magically going to be all that productive, you know, just because you have a a corporate job that takes up, you know, seven to nine hours of your day, and then you have to squeeze in your project into a couple of hours. Suddenly when the day expands to the full width, uh, you find plenty of things to procrastinate on and, uh, it takes a lot of focus to, to be, um, driven every day as an entrepreneur. And I still have days where I don't get a whole lot done. Um, But the other thing is that that stress that you can feel after leaving your job and watching your runway get closer to the end, the runway is, you know, the amount of savings that you have uh, divided by how much you're spending per month.
0: And- It's a very real, tangible- measurable number,
1: right? Exactly. And so you, you might have a runway of 12 months and maybe you feel great about having saved that much over your career and, you know, you're going to give it your one shot, but watching that runway get closer and closer to the end ramps up the stress level. And I've seen so many people overshoot the runway and, and have to, um, you know, go back to something freelancing or, or a career of some sort. And not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, I just encourage people to think about entrepreneurship as a long-term thing. It you know, just because your first venture doesn't necessarily result in a big success doesn't mean that you won't see success down the road, but the ultimate goal is to be able to take more than one shot at it. I think most of us end up needing to take more than one shot to find success. So, these days, you know there are a lot of opportunities where you can work remotely, for example, and maybe you can scratch some of that itch that you have to see the world or live somewhere else and to be able to work on a side project at the same time. Uh, in my case, in in the first go round, I actually convinced my employer at the time, a consulting firm, to let me go half time for a while, which eased the burden. We, uh, you know, ended up staying in Mexico a lot longer than we thought we would because it's way cheaper to live here than it was in the States. So there are ways you can be creative. You can extend your runway. Uh, you can, you know, continue working a little bit as annoying as it might feel at least so that your runway is, is longer or maybe even unlimited. Uh, you know, when you get started, you can always jump into freelancing or something, So that you actually bring some revenue in the door early there are a lot of things you can do but i would work on minimizing that stress because you never know how you're going to react to it and in my case it was a much stronger reaction than i thought and i think most people end up having a bit stronger of a reaction than they would expect
0: this episode is brought to you by u.s bank recently i went out for tacos and it wasn't even friday yes we have taco friday in norway and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, because what people see online isn't necessarily what's always going on behind the scenes with anybody, right? <laughs> and the internet's the ultimate comparison trap. <laughs> the maybe. ultimate funhouse mirror where we all get to look. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to get to it right away, but maybe that's a good segue to start talking about what you've done recently, which is this this idea of a digital reboot, and I'll just read a little quote from your website. You said, "I'm going to reevaluate how I exist online. I'm going to consolidate my online life and define a new vision for my next decade on the internet." Going back to lifestyle, that is more of maybe a lifestyle decision than anything, right? I mean, can we really separate our digital and our physical selves anymore at this point with the screen time and you know, all the things that are involved to work successfully online as an entrepreneur. I just wanted to hear about the digital reboot through that lens, through the lifestyle lens. Why do you feel the need to unburden in this way? Yeah. Well,
1: uh, okay. First of all, the caveat here is that I'm a bit of a, um, neat freak sometimes. And, and in my physical space, I need things to be organized and, um, and pleasingly designed and so on. And I think in the digital space, I had neglected that for a while and, um, felt like I had a lot of digital baggage out there, you know? And so part of this was just a neat freak side of me realizing that I wanted to clean things up, uh, sort of a housekeeping in a way, but you know, on the, on the, um, bigger, more important side of thing, I think side of things, I think that, um, it's, only recently that we have all spent this time, so much time online, and that we've had basically every little thought that we've had or uttered in a public place for the entire world to be able to see for all time, and and it's not natural, right? For for all of these little things that we that we think to exist forever. Um, there was a time when creators were people like artists and, and authors and so on, or filmmakers who you really only saw from them something every year, right? In, in the case of an author or a filmmaker, um, or, you know, a a painter, you would see their show like once a year or something. And that was the finished work. That was the result of their best thinking, their best effort and so on. But now, you know, it's a great way to build an audience showing your work and working sort of in public, but I still don't think that we've come to grips with just how, um, how messy that is. And, you know, I was, I was often inspired by artist talks. We heard this two or three times, my wife and I at artist talks where an artist who was sort of reflecting on their career would look back and say that at some point my entire studio burned down. And this is like more common than you would think, um, especially because you know you've got flammable solvents and things in your studio, and so on, and just because fires happen, and and artists a lot of times are in buildings that they've been in for decades, you know, that are maybe not uh, as as maintained as they should be, and you would think that this is this tragic thing that would happen to someone, but in looking back and reflecting on it. They universally said that this actually was a positive thing because it allowed me to start fresh and to achieve things or to produce things that wouldn't have been possible if I felt beholden to the style and the technique and the things that I'd built in the past. So I started wondering like, what the digital equivalent of that was and and where this all went over time. And it just got me thinking like, why do I have to have all of these posts out there on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and every other platform out there? And I also started recognizing that I was sort of um, playing that comparison trap and almost mimicking what other people were doing in social media in a lot of ways and not really feeling like it was me. It was more like I felt like as a digital creator, that I had to be in all these places and I might as well sort of try doing what other people were doing and see if that would work for me. But we start on all these platforms, maybe out of curiosity and then years go by and we, and maybe we haven't put any strategy or any thought into it. And we just end up going through the motions on all of these different places. And those platforms have desires for us, They want something from us. They want our attention so that we're spending more time there. They want us to produce more content so that we're attracting more people there because they all have a profit motive and we can't blame them for that. But you can easily get away from the reasons that you should be on those platforms in the first place. And that is, you know, hopefully either for entertainment purposes, maybe you feel good by being there. Or because it's serving some sort of a bigger business or life goal for you. And in many cases, neither of those were being satisfied for me. I didn't feel good spending time in these places. And I didn't later feel great about the time that i had spent there. I would often leave sort of, and maybe it's because of the comparison trap or, or other psychological reasons, I would feel worse about myself After closing the app than I did before I opened it. And I also found that just if I really dig into my business results, spending time on a lot lot of these platforms wasn't serving a purpose. So I I took a couple of steps. Um, The first was to evaluate all of these different platforms and decide which ones I was um, getting the most from. The second was to delete all of the posts that I had on those platforms. And then to give myself time to kind of sit with that feel what it was like, and decide if I wanted to go back and re-engage in those platforms. And, and for me, the answer ended up being that I really dramatically consolidated all of my social media presence to just one platform. And it doesn't matter what it is. For me, it happens to be Twitter because that works for me um, psychologically and, and from a business standpoint. But uh, just consolidating down so that it I didn't feel pulled in like five different directions and so that I could more carefully curate what I was doing in that one place. And, and that's been a really um, freeing thing to me, not to feel like I have to show up and check the box here and, and go through the motions there. So I, I don't know if this is right for everybody, but um, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a, a bit of a digital reboot for me. And I have seen uh, a lot of other people thinking about doing the same thing and just sort of questioning, like, why am I on all these places and what am I getting from it?
0: Yeah. How long has it been since you kind of did the, the clean? It's clean? been
1: uh, coming up on six months since I first deleted all of the posts, all of the content. And um, it has been just about a month or a few weeks since I have deleted a bunch of accounts, including um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, and and some other lesser ones.
0: Okay. So... Well, let's talk about those three, the last three weeks in Mexico, then <laughs> you have a lot of experience down in Mexico to compare that to how, how has it been? Have you seen a difference in the way you exist in a daily basis in terms of habits or, uh, lifestyles? We've talked about that or anything.
1: Yeah, well, this is, this has coincided with, um, making a bunch of decisions and feeling like I have, a. a a North star that I'm, that I'm working towards in my, in my business. And that's felt really good. And, and I don't know if, um, if leaving those platforms has led to the clarity of mind that allowed me to make those decisions, or if just forcing myself to start making some decisions, which included both of those things is, is what has led to this clarity. But I've, I've definitely felt a lot of clarity Um, it has led to a lot of real conversations with people because I'm, I'm talking on podcasts. People are curious in person, uh, about it and wondering if this might not be a a good path for them. So it's led to more human connection, which I really appreciate, uh, and, and less worrying about how many likes I'm getting on some post somewhere that doesn't really endear me to anyone. Um, I also have really enjoyed, um, people not necessarily knowing what's going on in my life. I I always felt odd about that. Like, even when it's like a good friend that you're catching up with and you say, you know, what's been going on and you tell them, Oh yeah, well we went to such and such. And they say, Oh yeah, I saw on social media. I almost felt like, um, there's, there's a creepiness factor there, but, uh, it, it people feel like they have to say, I saw it on social media because they want you to know that they're following your feed or whatever, and that it matters to them. But also it just kind of took the wind out of the conversations, you know, because what what else is there to talk about? They already saw the photos.
0: And they already have an idea from the photos of maybe what the experience was like in, in some ways, right? It's hard yeah. to not get those impressions. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it in that way. It's really cool to hear that it's led to more human connections with some, I'm, I'm sure was one of the intentions behind the decision. I, I, I agree. I mean, when you, make big decisions like this and i've talked about this on the show quite a bit when people are saying you know thinking about deciding to quit their job and travel for example or something even just exploring it kind of forces you to answer a lot of big questions right that that are really easy to avoid on a daily basis and with some of the stuff that you're talking about it's so easy to fall into the habitual daily routine of you know like you said checking this doing that and and really to me it seems like part of this is It's not just untethering from some of the digital stuff and, and, I don't know, unburdening yourself, I guess, in in some way, but it's also maybe releasing yourself from some of the habits that aren't serving you. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we
1: all have to admit that there is this other self out there, this digital self, and you can't necessarily untether the two. I think there was a time a while ago where those two felt very separate, but now they're so interconnected. And evaluating your personal habits, you know, we all think about how much we exercise, how well we're eating, you know, what our social habits are, all that kind of stuff regularly in the physical world. And I think we need to do that in the digital world. And, and, um, again, it's just so easy to go through the motions for a long time and do things because it's what you do, you know, it's, it's how your day goes. Um, but taking that time to step back and evaluate and ask yourself, how is the time that I'm spending here actually serving me? Uh, as opposed to, you know, the, the reality is that a lot of us tune into these platforms because the platforms are very manipulative and they have learned how to press your buttons and to get you to tune in because of, um, you know, deep seated human emotions and fears of uh, fear of missing out uh, fear of not being liked by the tribe and so on. And so, you know, they, they prey on these things because again, they want your attention. They want you to spend time on the platforms. And I think it's just very easy for all of us, you know, not to sound like an alarmist or like somebody who says that we shouldn't use social media at all, because there's obviously tons of value there. And I'm still participating, but, um, I think there is a matrix there, you know, to use the, the matrix film. We're all part of this matrix and (laughs) we all thought it would be us, in our physical form somewhere, you know, that we weren't aware of, but really it's us in our digital form out there being uh, pulled into these platforms and doing their bidding, clicking on things, uploading things and so on, feeling like we might be getting some benefit or hoping that we will in the beginning. Cause that's the promise, right? We see people who are overnight famous on TikTok, and we think, Oh, I'm just going to jump on there and see what happens. And That's the promise and that's what draws people in. But at the end of the day, we're all just part of this massive click farm so that they can sell us ads. And um, that's kind of depressing when you think about it, uh, that that's what's going on. So I, I just want to be really intentional about the time that I'm spending online. And I would way rather have a conversation with someone like you. I'd way rather spend an hour doing this than, uh, you know, an hour just kind of uh, going through the motions on some social platform and having those surface level
0: connections. Yeah, that's great. Uh, That's what I've always loved about podcasting is you can just have a conversation. As this relates to business, I'm sure there might be some people listening and thinking, well, you know, I I think I need this for business or I need a big social media following for my business. And obviously you work online and you can share some of your projects so people have an idea of some of the things that you do. I'm just wondering how much that played into your decisions for for what you were going to cut and what some of the fears might have been around around them, and and if they were realized or not. I know that's a multi-tiered question. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Um, I think I think I I think I understand exactly what you're getting
1: at, and. You know, um, one of the concerns I got from people when I, when I announced that I was starting over was that, wait, you know, what are you doing with all of your valuable projects? Because I've, I, I have blogged personally at my own site at corporatebar.com for quite a while. Uh, and I have built up several businesses The the one that people know me for most is called fizzle, which is. A online community and training library for independent creators and entrepreneurs, people that are trying to earn a living, blogging, podcasting, uh, creating videos, and so on. And I really didn't know where all this was going uh, when I started out. When I said I'm starting over, all I knew was I had felt stuck for quite a while in my um, in my career, if you want to call it that, in my you know my work life. And a friend called me out on it. You know, we were just catching up and she said, you know, you've been saying the same thing for quite a while. I was telling her I felt pulled in a bunch of different directions, right? (laughs) Yeah. Good friend. Good friend. (laughs) Like that's, that's rare for someone to actually kind of call you out on it. And, uh, I appreciated that a lot. And it was really a wake up call for me. And I started wondering like, why am I saying the same thing over and over again? And why do I, continually have these conversations in my head about what projects I, I really want to focus on. And, and I keep feeling like I'm not making progress and, uh, wasn't able to make any decisions. So basically I just decided to announce out loud in public that I was wiping the slate clean. And that I was going to force myself to make some decision because I know of no greater motivator than like telling people Public
0: accountability always wins out, right? (laughs) Public accountability.
1: And And so, um, in terms of like my own projects, I, I initially didn't know where this was going to go. And I, and I honestly had everything laid out on the table as a potential thing that I would cut. And I, I did cut a lot. I deleted most of the old blog posts on my old website. Um, and I deleted a lot of other like ancillary videos and so on. And what that allowed me to do was really focus on, what was important. I kept peeling back the layers of the onion and getting rid of the the scrub on the outside. And that allowed me to really shine a light on the things that were left. And I, I was inspired by another friend of mine who um, runs a really popular blog and, and social media presence, actually, uh, Minimalist Baker, Dana Schultz. Um, she had a couple of years ago, reached a point of burnout in her project and decided to take a bit of a sabbatical to allow herself some time to think about it. And, and this is partly due to the grueling nature of publishing on a regular basis, putting out blog posts and videos and, and podcasts and so on. We all feel this at some point, this, this hamster wheel of content creation. And uh, she wasn't able to think for herself anymore because she was you know, beholden to the schedule. So she took a couple of months off and sort of did the same thing, evaluated everything. And at the end of the day, she decided to recommit. She decided that she loved her project. There were just some ways that she was going about it that um, made it feel burdensome to her. And just, just just allowing herself the freedom to make a decision and to decide what she wanted to do next gave her a completely new relationship to that work. And I ended up feeling something similar, honestly, with my work. I recognized that I had too many projects going on and I'm actively working to find people to take over some of that work so that I don't have to think about it anymore because I had committed to too much. But the core project, the one that I had worked on for seven or eight years, Fizzle, it turns out that I actually really still love it. I love the work of it. I love the people involved. I love the customers and everything. And so I decided after this, like five months of soul searching, and talking publicly with people, and and canceling a lot of my social media and so on, that I wanted to uh, jettison a lot of that cruft so that I could have time to focus on Fizzle, and I have decided to recommit to it, and that feels great, and I'm really glad that I, that I've come to that decision. But I didn't know that that's where it was going. I just started like. Uh, <laughs> pulling the Band-Aid off here and there, and 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 look to see what was underneath.
0: Well, that's a beautiful thing, man. I mean, that's part of the whole journey, right? Yeah, you, ha- you have to go through that. You you could easily say, "Well, hey, maybe I could have just you know decided this months ago." But it's you have to go through those things, and it's not easy. But it feels good to recommit to something. I mean, I ha- I've had a similar experience fairly recently, and I, and I was. Yeah. Struggling with, with some of the same things that you've been talking about. So it's resonating pretty hard with me, but just that feeling of, of recommitting in a different way. It's, it's not something that you can measure, but it's something you feel right. I think it all comes down to being
1: able to allow yourself to visualize a future that is better than, than your present. Imagining, um, you know, your work, your project, whatever, being more successful, imagining you having a better relationship to it, imagining showing up with more excitement and vigor and and commitment to your work. If once you can visualize that future, then you can start working towards it again. And I think a lot of us get stuck, you know, up until this project, I had never spent more than I think slightly under five years in any one career, any one job. And that was a long time for me. And I think, yeah. you know, the, tr- the same is true for most people, like three yeah. years, two years is kind yeah. of the average tenure in a job. And so here I was eight years into a project and I didn't know what that part of the roadmap was supposed to look like. Cause I had never gotten past five years and I had known I, every other time I had gotten burned out and just moved on to something else. So here I was in this new uncharted territory, and I never took the time to think about what I should expect. And I think it's natural to need to recommit to a project at that point. Um, it's it's natural in a relationship, in a marriage, and so on and and just to you know, and to your city even sometimes we all get burned out on where we live, you know, and and that's why a lot of us travel so much, I think. Um, so that that part of that that recommitting for me, Really has just been about showing up with more energy and intention because I feel like I can move forward. And that's when we produce our best work, when we're feeling energized and committed and like we are putting the time now because of something that will be um, rewarding later. And that can be a new project for some people. For some people, it just takes, you know, some clarity and, and refocus, I think on the things that we already have.
0: Yeah. Sign up over there at zero2travel com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. I love that. And I love what you just said about applying this to different aspects of your life. It's true. I mean, yeah, right now I feel like I I, re, I need to recommit to the city I'm living in because this this has been a long cold winter. <laughs> I'm a little sour. I was talking to one of my expat buddies and we're just like, what are we doing here? It's freezing. <laughs> but, yeah. And you're... And you're <laughs> you're an
1: expat, you, you know, could live anywhere. You're used to living all over the place. But of course we have family and, and, you know, people that we're committed to that are from a place, you know, and, and I'm lucky that I'm from Portland, Oregon, which is a great place to be from. And, and my wife and I moved back there because we have family there, but it does come with some downsides. And, you know, this is the, these are, um, I don't know what middle-aged person problems, you know, like (laughs) figuring out the city you want to live in and,
0: yeah I mean, well, I think it's a good thing to reassess life on a regular basis and not just go through the motions. and when you make these dramatic decisions like like you just did with uh, untethering from all the digital stuff, it like we said, it forces a lot of questions and brings a lot of stuff up that's important and not always easy to face. you know It's not that it's just uncomfortable. Sometimes you just don't really know where to start in some ways, you have to create your own frameworks to look at your own life. It, it's a lot easier to kind of talk with a friend and help them through something than it is to do it for yourself. You mentioned the framework you used for, uh, for this decision pretty quickly. Do you find that to be difficult in general? Kind of, you know, okay, say you're giving yourself the space now, Sometimes it's even hard to know when you're even giving yourself the space to to do something. Like if you're in the idea stage of a business, you're like, "Hey, I think I want to start something new. How much time do you give yourself? How how much time should you spend researching?" You know, I mean, that's like one specific example, but do you know what I'm getting at? Well, yeah, and and for me, um I would say I was in that
1: that unlimited uh, you know, no no time box sort of situation for a few years and that's what caused me to start actually making some decisions i was making excuses for every little thing that i thought i might want to pursue instead of making decisions and moving forward and when i announced publicly i sort of put uh what felt like a a responsibility of me to come up with an answer for the people that i was emailing on my email list you know and and I, I don't think it matters how big that that email list is. I, in fact, you, know, you could th- think of your 10 closest friends and email all them and say, hey, look, I need some accountability. But I felt like I didn't have a specific timeline, but I knew that I needed to write people every few weeks and give them an update at least, let them know what, what was going on. And so eventually it kind of just came to a natural process. I also just kind of got in that mode of making decisions and not being afraid to cut something uh, so that I could, you know, recognizing that every time we say yes to something, we are implicitly saying no to other things because we only have so much time in the day. So by saying no to those things, I was giving myself more room to be able to say yes to the things that mattered. And when it came time to do my annual review this year, which, you know, a lot of people do, you think about what went right last year and and what you want to do the next year. Um, I came across an article by Tim Ferriss from the 4-Hour Work Week and, and everything else. He um, recommended actually just looking at your calendar week by week at the events that were scheduled. You could also look at your task list and think about the things that you did. But for every event or every task that you worked on, go week by week throughout the whole year, and then put them in a couple of buckets. Put them in a bucket of hell yes, I love this. I, this was awesome. This lifted me up. This was a great experience. I want more of this. And put other things in a bucket of, this was a drain on my energy. I dreaded doing it. I would love to never have to do that thing again. And then figure out ways to do more of the first bucket and less of the second bucket. And you know, the second bucket might involve outsourcing some things, but it might also just be saying no it might be saying no to certain kinds of meetings or things that end up on your calendar. And for me, I found that I really enjoy um, having conversations with people on podcasts like this. So I decided this year I'm going to be on a podcast every week. And I, I saw I made,
0: that you're 50 podcasts. Thanks for making mine one of them.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm super happy to be here, and I, I love. Um, I it's just it's just fun, you know, and and you get exposed to new people and so on. So. That's one of the things that I'm saying yes to this year, and I'm able to do that because I'm not spending time on Instagram or, you know, wherever else I might have been spending time.
0: (laughs) It's not getting scrolled away. and Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Where do you fall on the pursuing your passion versus finding the, you know, the business opportunity spectrum question? Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll say this, it is hard to sustain passion about a topic or a project for a long time if you're broke. And, and, you know, there are a lot of things that are, that are fun and interesting to think about, but that will turn sour on you eventually if you can't make any money doing it. So, you know, to me, the ideal is a combination of both. It's something that you're really interested in. Um, and that people will pay you for, that there's a business opportunity there. And of course, you never know completely like where the business opportunities lie, but it's worth thinking about. It's worth looking around to see if anyone else is successful in that space, whatever it is. Um, you know, And on the passion side, likewise, you don't know if you're going to be passionate about something in three months or six months, once you make it a daily pursuit, you know, the, the quickest way to ruin a pleasurable hobby is to turn it into a job in some cases. Right. Um, my ex business partner, Chase Reeves talked about how he decided at one point that he was going to be like the cigar guy because he enjoyed cigars and he wanted to like, you know, um, do, uh, reviews of them on YouTube or something until he sat down for a week. And realize that having to smoke multiple cigars every day isn't so fun. It's fun like Kramer in that one
0: Seinfeld episode. His face got all leathery, and yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, you know, sometimes you have to kind of walk in the direction of a project for a while. Start like wearing that project's shoes and see what it's like to walk a mile in it before you can really know whether or not there's a business opportunity, whether or not you like it, whether or not they're, you know, it's the right thing for you.
0: What's something that most people don't know about you, Corbett? Um,
1: hmm. Where, what, give me some, give me some direction here. Like, what, what do you want to know?
0: <laughs> I don't know. It could, it could be anything. Well, um, I mean, I, you, you I don't like you said, you've had many podcasts out there and, uh, you've put your, you're not afraid to put yourself out there. I'm just curious. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, you know, so, um, my, my, uh, Silicon Valley startup that, that crumbled sort of in the 2008 financial collapse when venture capitalists were struggling, scrambling, to find um, the profitable investments, and they had to cut the rest of them, we were left at a point where uh, we didn't have revenue coming in. We were trying to build one of these like free services that you get a bunch of people, and, and we did have a lot of people, but not enough revenue to sustain. And when we weren't able to raise that additional money and we had to cut all our staff, my co-founder and I ended up in daily screaming matches at each other. And it was it was not fun. Um, it was I feel like it probably took a year off of my life. Uh, it put us in a really um, horrible relationship standpoint and made me realize made me think about um, how people behave when things aren't going well, and how you personally behave when things aren't going well. It made me think about the importance of um, finding a co-founder or ever pr- you know partnering with people on projects, how important that is in choosing people. And it made me realize that I'd never wanted to part ways in that sort of situation with someone that I had worked with in any sort of context again. And I've, I've made that a point. Um, Chase, who I mentioned as my ex-co-founder, uh, we parted ways three years ago and it was completely amicable. You know, he told me one day he had other interests, things that he wanted to do. And I said, great. Like the most important thing is I want to make sure that we are friends after this and we need to figure out a way to split things up so that we both feel good about it. And going in with that made those conversations and negotiations much better, and put us off on a much better foundation, I'd say, for the next chapter, whatever that is. And I'm so glad because, like you mentioned, or actually, somebody I was talking to earlier today mentioned Chase had a new podcast that just came out, and he invited me to be the first guest, and I was honored. And you know, we're, it's it's great to have friends who are doing really interesting things as opposed to enemies that you, you know, um, ended up in fights with. I, I finally caught up with that, an initial co-founder, um, just, uh, two weeks ago, he reached out and, um, we hadn't talked in a decade. It was crazy.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, we've both got, you know, gray hair now and it's, it's changed quite a bit. Um, but it was it was great to catch up and to reminisce about things but there's definitely some awkwardness there. We we did uh have a conversation about a year after the you know the business had fallen apart and we had had all those arguments and we you know came to it um just laying all of our chips on the table and apologizing and so on but still there was a lot of damage done and so we haven't been able to be friends since then. So You know, I I think, um, as I said, that the lesson there is just to consider how you and other people are going to act when things aren't going well, because we all get into things, and this is true of relationships and marriages as much as it is co founders, because co founders are very much like spouses in a way, because you spend so much time together. You have so many, you know, financial things that are tied up together. You just have to think about how things are going to go when things aren't going well. And how the relationship is going to survive and what you want it to be like after things end because a lot of relationships do end.
0: Well, given your experience with what you just described and you've had the positive experience with business partners, what is your advice for somebody that's considering taking on a business partner?
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting because um, Chase, my ex-business partner, actually brought up the idea recently of maybe he and I putting together a course on this. For people that are thinking about finding a partner and how to get into the, um, you know, how to find someone, how to vet someone, and then how to structure the relationship. And um, for us, it meant, you know, legal contracts are never important until until things go sideways, right? And I think a lot of people get into partnerships and they just say, "Uh, you know, whatever, we're partners. And they just assume in their mind that means we're 50-50, 50-50 50-50 is a tough place to be because it means that you uh, can't make decisions without arbitration or something because, you know, if you disagree, then you're stuck basically until you can work it out. Um, it also means that what happens if someone leaves early and some one person is really committed to the project and somebody else leaves. So, uh, you know, in the VC world, in the startup world, they've thought a lot about this. This is why there are terms, there are things like vesting and other things that sort of protect people. But I think it's important to um, structure things up front. It also means that you're, you are forcing yourself to have some difficult conversations up front and to make people, you know, people get very uh, inflamed when they have to talk about their value that they're bringing to a project. And when, you know, maybe they thought they were more valuable than you were in a project. And then you propose to them, well, let's go 60-40 or something. And they get annoyed by it. Well, those are good conversations to have because those are difficult conversations. And eventually, you'll have to have difficult conversations again. And that will give you some Indication of how your relationship is going to go when things get difficult. So I, I recommend trying to have some of those things up front, those difficult conversations. And also protecting both of you so that the value that you bring to the business, the contributions that you bring are recognized equally. You also don't know if you're going to need to leave at some point. And the goal of those negotiations up front is to make sure that everyone feels good about it and everyone feels protected in the scenario where, uh, the thing is dissolved.
0: Yeah. Cool. No, I appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Um, what do you guys love about Mexico?
1: I had always romanticized Mexico, uh, even though I had never spent that much time here. I just wondered, you know, I guess there are the old books you read about beatniks and so on, like spending time down here. And I think that just got lodged in my mind at some point that made me want to really get to know Mexico more. And now we've spent a cumulative maybe four years or so of, of my life in Mexico throughout various time. And, um, I love first of all, the people are so warm and so, um, relationship based. So family based. I love that. If, if once you're friends with someone with, uh, Mexican, like your, your family, you know, and that's a big deal. Um, so I love that. I love that people get together every Sunday with their big extended family and, you know, have a big lazy dinner that that part of the culture here, I think, um, is just really fun. The food of course, uh, you know, the cuisine here, I would say is if you think about world cuisine, it's up there, you know, everyone knows Mexican food and there's a reason for that because it it is unique. It's, so flavorful. It's, it's, um, so simple in some ways, but so complex, you know, you think about the taco, it's like so incredibly simple, but a mole is so, so complex. And I I love that dichotomy. Uh, and then, you know, being a person that appreciates cocktails, I love that they have invented tequila and mezcal, which are both incredible spirits and, um, you know, on the world stage as well. So there's, there's so much to love about Mexico.
0: Yeah. What city are you guys in?
1: We're in a little tiny town on the Pacific coast that is between Puerto Vallarta, which a lot of people know, and further south would be Manzanillo. Our town is called Barra de Navidad, and it's just a little um, 10,000-person fishing, surfing, chill little hideout. It's kind of nice. Do you surf, or...? I do, yeah. There's a surf break right here in town, and um, within driving distance, there's a ton of surf breaks. The, the Pacific coast of Mexico is blessed with tons of great surf breaks, and a lot of them are pretty uncrowded.
0: Is that one of your main sort of outside of work hobbies, or what do you? Yeah, what do you like it, to do?
1: It was, it was. I would say um, that's one of the reasons that we came back here over and over again. Uh, unfortunately for the past two seasons, I've had a bit of a recurring shoulder injury that has, yeah. um, really I feel put, you on the uh, shoulders,
0: man, I got the, terrible the, the, shoulders, the Awful.
1: shoulders are a very complex thing and you don't, you take them for granted until you have an issue with them. Um, so my outlet lately, um, believe it or not, I don't know, maybe you don't care, but, um, has turned to pickleball, which is, a it's, it's, uh, almost like if you could imagine a cross between um, tennis and ping pong. It's almost as if you're standing on hell.
0: (laughs) It's almost as if
1: you're standing on top of a ping pong table. That's quite a bit bigger, but it's, it's actually between the size of a tennis court and a a ping pong table. And you play with a firmer. Um, it's a, it's a racket between tennis and pickleball in terms of its firmness and size. And the ball is, uh, like a wiffle ball. And what it does is it slows down the game of tennis quite a bit so that people of all different ages can play. And it makes it more strategy based as opposed to just brute force. But also it can be really competitive depending on who you're playing with. So it's fun. Um, and it's really taken hold in North America. And so there's a court here. There's actually four courts here and, uh, it can, there can be up to like 40 people playing at once. And, you know, several people waiting on side. I lights.
0: love that. I've never heard of that. It sounds like, uh, was, it, was that a movie by those South Park guys where like, they invented a game and it, and it can, made, made it big somehow? It sounds like a made up game, but, uh, you know, another great way to meet locals, right? Just go play pickleball. You're probably not going to see a lot of tourists playing pickleball.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of uh, expats playing pickleball, Okay, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> but there are locals as well. And it's, it's really
1: just, it's super accessible. So it's catching on. So when are you heading back to Portland? We're going to head back this year. You know, there's the whole vaccine conversation and so on, and when we think we'll be able to get one. So I'm hopeful that when we get back, you know, they will be vaccinating people up there. We're looking at like mid-April back to Portland. And the the crazy thing is um, we live oceanfront here in Mexico, which is amazing. In Portland this last year, because of the pandemic, we decided to sell our house. We weren't sure about the economy and what we wanted to do next where we wanted to live. And we figured there might be some opportunities. But in the meantime, we haven't found a new place to buy yet. But in the meantime, we found ourselves living on a floating home on the Willamette river. And it is, it's been like crazy. It's, it's super fun. Um, it's, it's a a full size house, you know, some people call it a houseboat, but it's really more like a, a house that's on a floating platform amongst about 30 other houses and uh we have a boat that we keep tied up behind and we just are living the river lifestyle and when you look out the front of the house or sit out on the deck you're like over the river over the water there
0: bad so man. it's
1: it's not not a bad thing to return to
0: yeah man well i mean it's cool it sounds like you've got a lot of uh a lot of interesting things coming your way i guess and and you don't know where it's going and that's always an exciting thing and uh i just really appreciate you taking the time to give us some advice today around all this stuff and to share your experience with all of the digital rebooting that you've done. One last question. Well, actually two last uh, book that you read that really made an impact on you. I was like a good book recommendation. I'll
1: give you this instead. Um, I'll give you some perennial books that have had a a lasting impact on me. And that is anything that's written by, um, Jason Fried and David Hanemeyer Hansen, DHH. They run a company called Basecamp, and they've written several books. Um, one is called Rework, and in thinking about my, cre- my career trajectory and the pieces that started to f- fall into place when I was working on the first startup but recognizing that that mode of working wasn't necessarily what I wanted from my life, those books, Rework especially, made me question everything and made me realize that you can question everything and that you don't have to do things just because either it's the way that you've done something forever or because everyone else does it that way. And I would say that that same line of feeling like I can question things and that probably everyone else is doing things wrong um, is what has led me to feel like I can clean up my digital house and uh, leave a bunch of platforms and so on because just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean that it's the right way for you.
0: Cool. Thanks for that. With that, I, I won't hold you from the pickleball court any longer. <laughs> Thanks. Um, where do you want people to check you out? Is, is the best place Corbett yeah, the links? Yeah.
1: Exactly. I would say for this conversation and everything we've talked about, uh, my latest thoughts are there.
0: Cool. Yeah. I found out about all of this from your email list, which I'm on and that really caught my attention. So I, I, reached out and I'm really glad you took the time to come on and share your experience. So thank you once again, so much. And, uh, hope we can keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. I love right. it. Take care. There you have it. My conversation with Corbett. Thanks Corbett for stopping by and sharing your experience around an important topic. As we know, technology is a huge part of our lives and i hope this episode gave you some new things to think about maybe new ways to approach your relationship with technology when you're traveling when you're at home and i don't know let me know if you end up doing your own digital reboot or taking some of this uh, conversation and running with it yourself you can always get in touch jason at zero to is my email i want to say thanks to everybody who has listened to this show and taken the time to reach out and get in touch. This is always a two-way conversation, a community-powered show here. I talk about it often, and I love to hear from listeners. And uh, please, if you have never gotten in touch, don't be shy. Reach out. Share your story. Let me know what's up. Okay, I'm going to give a shout-out to a listener who wrote me an email the other day, and then we're going to get into the other things I discussed at the top of the show why to pay attention to your repetitive self and also a nice way to start the day. But first, the shout out to my neighbor. I'm using that in air quotes because I got this message. It said, a neighbor thank you and heads up for the future. It's from Linus, who's... Just over yonder, I would say, in Sweden. I'm here in Norway. He says, "Longtime listener of the podcast here. 23-year-old academic floorball player from Western Sweden. So we are literally neighbors. Just wanted to reach out because I love your work. and show some appreciation. Uh, your work has helped me a lot in my planning for what will come. I spent all my life in school training for my sport, which almost took me to an elite level and worked at Volvo Cars when... There was time. He said, in June, I'm taking a two-year master's degree in management and public administration, which is fun, but I'm not sure if it's for me. The pandemic resulted in a completely lost mind, and I don't recognize my mindset anymore. I've always dreamed of seeing the world, to leave everything, meet new people, see cities, and eat food I only heard of. That's what I'm doing now. I'm saving up cash and hopefully leaving in autumn. And He just says a lot more nice things at the podcast and actually invites me to visit Gothenburg one day, which I've been to, and it's a lovely city. And uh, I would certainly reach out if uh, if I'm there. It sounds like uh, you're on your way, Linus, to, to a life of travel maybe or to, to a part of your life being travel. And it starts with that dream, right? Dreaming of seeing the world. You said leaving everything. Now you're actually saving up the cash and getting to do it. So I just want to give you a shout out and say congratulations uh, for that decision and to start working your way towards uh, a trip. It all starts with one trip, right? Don't get overwhelmed with the oh, I got to just travel for years or it has to be I have to be nomadic or a certain thing, man. Just start with a trip. And that's what you're doing. Saving up cash and you said hopefully leaving in autumn. I don't like that word hopefully though. Hopefully leaving in autumn. You got to say leaving in autumn. So, <laughs> there you go. Well, congratulations. And this ties in with what I want to talk about. A nice little way to start your day and uh, this started for me today because I was doing some yoga this morning. I do yoga with Adrian on YouTube. So shout out to Adrian. And sometimes she mentions this. This is something I try to do as well. She kind of mentioned setting a little intention for the day. And I did that today. You know, my intention for the day was just to really be present with the things I was doing. For example, recording this podcast with you. I don't want to think about the other things I have going on or that I need to do or the fact that it's snowing outside and it's spring, which is crazy, but just to be here present with you on the microphone, hanging out or present in whatever activity I'm doing, which makes a huge difference, I think for my state of mind, for uh, just the enjoyment of the day, right? I just enjoy things so much more if I'm just present with those things and not being scatterbrained or trying to think about a million other things while I'm doing something else if I'm making coffee let me just make coffee not think about all the other things I need to do while I'm making coffee and anyway it was a small intention for the day and that's my challenge to you you can set your own just uh, pick a small intention for the day doesn't have to be an intention for your life but just for that one day and that's a nice way to start a day And I love that that can change a little bit each day based on your mood and what you think you might need for that day to give yourself a little love, some self-love there. So start your day with a little intention, a little uh, thing that's helped me, and hopefully it helps you. Now, the last thing I want to share is this whole concept of why to pay attention to your repetitive self is what I called it. And this is something that came up in the interview when Corbett was talking about kind of feeling stuck and not being sure where things were going at a certain point in his life. And then a good friend called him out on it, you might recall, during the interview, and said, hey, you keep saying the same thing over and over again. (laughs) You know, maybe maybe this is something you want to change or or consider changing. And uh, that was a moment that stuck out to me and many moments in this interview did. But uh, that one in particular, I thought it would just be good to pull out and, and leave you with because I think a lot of times... This can happen to us, right? Uh, Where we are maybe saying the same things over and over again in our minds or out loud to people that we know, but not really doing anything to change them, right? And I was just thinking, well, have I been saying anything over and over again? Is there something I should be paying attention to? I just think this idea of paying attention to our repetitive self. What are the things that we're repeating over and over again? But maybe those things need a little space to work through or to figure out. I think it's easy to kind of miss those things sometimes. And Corbett mentioned he had a good friend that called him out on that. And that's always helpful when we have those are good friends. Like I said in the interview, those are the people that, you know, they're not afraid to call you out on your stuff. But also we have to pay attention so we can call ourselves out because we can't count on other people to always do that for us. So, that's it. It's just a thought experiment, I guess. Is there anything, and I'm asking this question to myself as well, is there anything that you have been repeating over and over again that might need some attention paid to it or might need or might demand some answers? So, let's pay attention to our repetitive selves, shall we? The things that... We may be saying over and over again a little too much that are potentially problems or challenges that maybe can be solved if we just pay them a little attention, give them a little love. And that self-love every day is key, isn't it? I don't want to get all, you know, new agey here or anything, whatever you want to call it, but hey, we all need a little bit of love every single day, right? And that love's got to come from ourselves first and foremost, so... Do something for yourself today. Give yourself a little love. And I'm going to pull something out of the quote drawer. I wonder what it is going to be. Will it be tied in with everything we've talked about today? Let's see if the magic is here. Mahatma Gandhi, quote from him, good start, who said, the end to be sought is human happiness combined with full mental and moral growth. There you have it. I'll leave you with that. Quote from Mahatma Gandhi. Thank you so much. For hanging out with me today, being a part of this community. Peace and love, and I'll see you next time, my friend. Cheers. This
1: podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.